Good morning. Uh, Warren Wearsby, he, he relates a story about uh, in, in a certain church, there was this man who uh, he always ended his prayers like this, Lord, clean the cobwebs out of my life. Clean the cobwebs out of my life. And one of the members that one of the members of the church became weary of hearing this this same uh, insincere request week after week because he saw no no changes in in the uh, petitioner's life and so the next time the man uh, prayed lord clean the cobwebs out of my life clean the cobwebs out of my life he interrupted with and while you're at it lord kill the spider <laughs> Well, we're in, we're in Nehemiah chapter 10. Uh, last time we were in Nehemiah chapter 9, which, in, in which the, uh, the Levites, the, uh, the, the priests, they, uh, they pray a prayer of, of confession. And, uh, you know, they, they realize that they and their, their ancestors had uh, sinned against God. They enumerated all the ways in which uh, the, the people had, had strayed. And uh, acknowledge that, you know, d- despite the things that God had done in delivering them time after time, they just kept straying, walking away from, from God. So it was kind of um, back and forth, you know, forward, then backward, then forward, then then backward. And... Uh, you know, in uh, in the wilderness, God had uh, provided food and water, safety, protection. Uh, it, it even says that their their shoes didn't wear out in in forty years. Uh, that's pretty amazing. But despite all this, uh, in that prayer, it said they acted presumptuously. They stiffened their neck. They didn't obey God's commandments. And so, God's people in the Old Testament just had a a history of of frequently shaking their their fists at God. And so here they are. You know, God had allowed them to uh, be taken away in exile by the uh, Babylonians. The the temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was was destroyed. The walls, the gates burned. A lot of people killed, but you know, according to God's uh, compassion, he he brought them back after 70 years. They rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt Jerusalem's walls and gates, and you know they they realized, looking back, they realized the uh, historical uh, error of, of their ways. In this uh, this great prayer confession in chapter nine, so now what? Now what? And our our text today uh, talks about that. Chapter ten, you know, spiritual renewal. If it's genuine, it, it brings change. Uh, if, if, if there is true revival, we should see transformation in, in God's people. And so, you know, now the question is, okay, they realized where they'd gone wrong. They confessed. Now what? Is there, is there going to be a lasting impact? You know, are... are are we going to be different tomorrow than we are today? How about uh, yesterday? Uh, are we going to be better? 
Are we be different? How about a year from now? How about how about ten years from now? You know, are we going to return to our sin yet once again? Are we going to are we going to forget the one who had such amazing mercy on us and brought us back? And this is the question that's that's faced uh, by the Jews who who've heard the scripture read and explained, who had as a group entered into this this collective prayer of of praise and confession. The question is, is this as far as it goes or or will some lasting good come from it? Well, it appears in chapter 10 they're they're determined to take this confession seriously and make what they consider to be a solemn solemn vow, a, uh, a solemn commitment this should be lasting and and life-changing it should be sustained let's read from chapter 10 let's uh let's actually go back to uh the the last verse of chapter 9 which in the hebrew bible actually is the first verse of chapter 10 so starting actually with 938 because of all this because of the the prayer that they had just prayed Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. And on the seals are the names of Nehemiah, the governor, son of Hakaliah. We're going to skip down to verse 28. I'm I'm just not up to reading that, that long list of names. Verse 28, let's pick up there. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses the servant of, servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the people of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy them on the Sabbath day or on any holy day. We will forego, forego the crops of the seventh year in the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our, our, Lord, our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for wood offering to bring into the house of our God according to the, our Father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring, to bring first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year 
to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring first of our dough in their contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine, the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring the Levites, the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. So, Lord... um, You know, we, 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 read the, we, we read this and we see the hearts of, of people who truly want to follow you. Lord, you have obviously done a, a, a work in them, among them. Lord, teach us from your word here. Teach us what you desire of us. In Jesus' name, amen. We started talking about revival last time, revival, and that's that's a word that uh, is kind of kind of forefront in our minds with with things that are going on in in our country, and um, I think we noted last time that it's it really seems kind of absurd to say that uh, you know this revival will end next week. You know, it'll be nice to have things back to normal. I, I read a, a news article that, that, where, the, where the person said this. Well, you know, this is not normal. This is not right to, to say that. You know, we shouldn't. Well, let me, let me back up a little bit uh, and, and just talk about revival a little bit. I was, I was thinking about this this morning as I, as I was praying. Uh, you know, the word revival is not found in the Bible. The word revive is in, in the Psalms, you know, uh, I, I believe as David asks God to revive us again. Um, but it's a word we use a lot, you know, what is what is a revival? We'll, we'll get into that a little bit, but um, what, what, what occurs to me uh, and what occurred to me as I was getting this sermon together was that this this idea that we have these big events. We move forward, and then we lose it and move back, just like the Israelites, forward, back, up and down. That's not normal. That's not normal. And I was thinking this morning, actually, what what are some what are some words that? Uh, would you might consider to be opposite of revival biblical biblical words 
a couple came to my mind. One was lukewarmness. You know, it's not normal for us to be lukewarm and then, you know, need, need some stirring from God so that we can return to our lukewarmness later on. Another word that, that came to mind was uh, black, uh, backsliding, backsliding. You know, it's not normal. It might be common, but it's not normal for us to move forward and then slide back, move forward and then slide back. And this morning, a couple things came to my mind. I was, I was thinking about a, a man I worked for when we lived in Arizona. His name was Chuck. And he was telling me about his, uh, his daughter's wedding. His daughter got married, his only, only child. His daughter was married. Chuck took out a loan, spent a ton of money for this destination wedding he, uh, on, a, on a cruise ship. You know, an amazing wedding. Chuck said, well, you know, that was 10 years ago. I'm, I'm still paying for that wedding, and they've been divorced for the last five. Our relationship with God, you know, God, God has given us uh, marriage in, in, a, in a way to, uh, to give us a picture of, of his relationship with us. You know, the church is called the, the bride of Christ. It's not normal to have this big wedding and then neglect the marriage every, every day thereafter. And then maybe have a great big anniversary celebration. And then go back to being jerks to each other. Ignoring each other's needs, not loving each other. That's not normal. You know, I, want, I want my marriage to be one in which I wake up every morning and I, and I tell Chris, I love you. And where we can talk and be close and do things together. You know, do we have a perfect marriage? Does anybody have a perfect marriage? Probably not. But we can strive for that. And that's a picture that God gives us of, of the church. That's a picture even in the Old Testament he gave us of, of his people. You know, where we're... What, what are some words for revival? Maybe, maybe biblical words of, of this concept. Renewal. Growth. If it's if it's continuous revival, it's it's maturity. It's it's, it's growing. You know, we we should not be fifty year old infants. Spiritual spiritually. Anyway, I don't mind using this word re- revival. I think it's good. You know, but one of the one of the main things we got to realize is the re- is revival comes from the reviver. Revival comes from the reviver. It comes from having a relationship with the reviver who is the Holy Spirit who indwells us. True revival is sustainable. True revival is sustainable, and that's what we're talking about here. It should be continuous. Anyway, we see in this text in in, uh, Nehemiah 10, three things, three Three C's that I'd like to pull out of here, which are compliance, consecration, and and care. Compliance with God's word, consecration unto God, and care for the house of, of God. 
So let's look at the first one. Sustainable revival comes with compliance with, with God's word. You know, haven't we seen all along that the people have had trouble being obedient to God's word, to God's command? They, you know, they had sinned in their disobedience. They had become rebellious, idolatrous, clearly ignoring the things that God had to say. You know, they had, they had failed to love the Lord their God with every aspect of, of their being as God commanded so here's starting with Nehemiah himself. He and the other people are entering into a covenant, a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. This sounds kind of funny maybe to us, a curse and an oath. Hmm? Well, in, in Deuteronomy, you know, God, it, God gave a curse and an oath. He said, you know, he, he says, if you, if you obey my commands, if you walk in obedience, I will do this. You'll thrive. I'll, you know, you'll, you'll thrive in the land that I, that I gave to uh, Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob. You're going to, you know, your land is going to bear fruit. You're going you're gonna to do well. But if you don't, if you, if you reject me and if you rebel, what's going to happen? So it's a, it's a conditional covenant. It's a it's a it's a, a, a blessing and a curse. In the, uh, in the like I mentioned earlier, in the Hebrew Bible, uh, chapter ten begins in what our Bibles have as nine thirty eight. This verse begins because of this. In view of this, you know, it's, it's in direct relationship to what precedes it. Chapter 9 contained this account of God's dealings with the nation Israel up to this point. Recounts God's faithfulness. Recounts the people's unfaithfulness. God's goodness, his provision for the people. But, you know, in spite of what God did, the people were hard-hearted. They were... They were rebellious. And you know, all this is recorded in, in the rest of the Old Testament. Read, read through the Bible. Read through the, the Old Testament. You'll see that it's just a cycle. This unhealthy cycle. In light of reading and preaching the scriptures, in light of the prayer that, that they had just offered, this prayer of confession by the Levites on behalf of the people then, based on the scriptures that they had read earlier. You know, the people here are making this solemn commitment to live according to God's law. They're making a commitment to change. And what follows is this list of names of the people who made this solemn commitment. Uh, who, who are these people? Uh, probably don't recognize most of them, but verse 38 says that the princes, the Levites... The priests; these are the uh, the leaders of the people. You know, we've already seen in, in Ezra and Nehemiah that uh, we have lots of these lists of names. You know, and, and it's very easy to skip over these names and uh, not think maybe that they're they're significant. <laughs> you know, I, I've got to, I've got to admit a lot of these people aren't significant to me, but they were significant to somebody. Here they are. 
These names are here for a reason. You know, each, each name represents a person. Each name represents a life, a life that, that is meaningful for, for other people. You know, each, each name has behind it a, a family and a, a lineage, years of experience in life. You know, each one is a, a, a unique individual who, whom, whom God has worked with and dealt with uniquely. You know, a couple generations from now, I'll be one of these people. Nobody will have any idea who I was. But you know, they're here. They're here. They're written down. They're for all to see and remember. Um, made me think of this. There's this monument in the, the, the town we lived in in Arkansas, Russellville, this, this park. And Chris and I once parked at the trailhead, took this, this trail into this park, and the destination of this trail was a monument. And it was a monument for the, uh, for the men from that community who had died in the uh, Civil War. And we looked at the names, and you know, th- those names were just to me just like just like these. You know, none of them looked very familiar, or if, not at all, in fact. But you know, each each one represented a life. Each one represented a, a life lost. Uh, who who were they? I don't know. Maybe some of the people in, in Russellville who've lived there generation after generation could look at that and say, you know, this this is my great-great-grandpa or, or whatever. But this memorial was placed there by the, uh, by the mothers of, of the fallen soldiers. It was an old, old, it's hard to even read these names. Remember that, Chris? You know, wouldn't, wouldn't it be cool to, to hear the stories? Wouldn't it be cool to hear the, and, and we will, I think, I think we're going to have eternity to do this, to meet some of these people, maybe all of them, and hear their stories. But you know, at the top of the list, this is significant, is at the top of the list is Nehemiah himself. You know, this this is a very good principle here. You know, a, a leader cannot lead where he doesn't go first, right? I'm sure he was very happy to have the people sign below his name. You know, if, if nobody's following, there's there's no leadership happening. Uh, there, there's an Afghan proverb that says, if you think you're leading and no one is following you, then you're only taking a walk. But it lists these people, and it says the, the leaders, the, the nobles, the Levites, the, the priests. You know, this, this, these would represent the uh, civil leaders and the uh, religious leaders. They're joined by the rest of the, the people. Temple workers, singers, gatekeepers, wives, sons, daughters, all who were able to understand, you know, referring to those who are old enough to understand what's going on here, those, those who have been trained by their, by their parents and received understanding. You know, back in chapter 9, it, it, it said the same thing. These are, the, these are some of the ones that were there to hear God's word. And let me just say, you know, it's, it's critical that our children hear and understand God's word. You know, what a, what a responsibility, what a, what a wonderful privilege it is for parents to be able to teach their children about God. 
to teach their, their children about the, the beauty of God's word and the beauty of, of praying to God and to ensure their, their understanding. You know, God gives parents this charge. We've, we've read this before in Deuteronomy 6. You know, these words I command you today will, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. In other words, always. It says here in Nehemiah that of, of those who've entered this covenant, they were all who have separated themselves from the people of the land to the law of the Lord, the law of God. These were the, these were the same people who in chapter 9, verse 2 says, confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers and stood and heard the reading of the scriptures and heard it explained. They all joined to enter this curse and oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. They all said yes to God. Yes, Lord, we're going to do it. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna keep your commandments, God. We're going to follow you. We're going to live by your word. You know, and this, this remains a, an important principle for us, an important command for us. Uh, 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 says about the, about the word of God, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We cannot neglect the, the word of God. You know, the, the Bible's not just a, one book among many. Chris and I went to a uh, used bookstore in Spokane last week. And uh, I don't know if, if you've ever gone to a library in a book st- or a bookstore and just kind of felt overwhelmed. You know, there's just so much there, so many books. You know, you can, you can spend weeks just browsing. God's word is, is the book above all books. You know, in it, he reveals himself to us. In God's word, he reveals his, his plan of redemption to us, gives us instruction for how to live, how to please God, just like Paul says in Second Timothy. Well, the next part of sustainable revival is consecration. Concentration, consecration unto God. You know, the point is made of these people that they had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God. And there's some specific areas that uh, of consecration that, that they cover here. You know, the first is the consecration of their love lives. You know, they made this vow. We will not give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. You know, we've already seen in the book of Ezra the problems that can come to God's people when they don't follow this commandment. You know, God calls us to be separated unto him, set apart to him. We are 
of the, we're, we're in the world, but we're not of it. Remember, we are, we're resident aliens. God calls us to be set apart. Marriage is, is holy before God. You know, when a man and a woman come together in marriage, you know, they're, they're one flesh. But they're also, they, they should also be one in the most important thing at the deepest level, which is the uh, spiritual level. You know, our, our, our love must, our love life must go much further than, than just the physical. And you can look around the world and see what a mess we've made of it as, as a human race when we leave God out of it. You know, our, our, our relationship with God is the most important thing about us. It's the most important thing about a relationship that, that we have with a husband or wife. You know, many people over the years have seriously hindered their relationship with God by marrying an unbeliever. Uh, Paul, the apostle, in 2 Corinthians six fourteen through 15 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? This is not uh, an arbitrary rule. You know, this is the uh, this is a matter of spiritual life or death in, in a marriage, and with, and with children. You know. We, the question is, who will, you, who will you be yoked with? Will you be yoked with an unbeliever or will you be yoked who, with someone who's yoked with Jesus? And young men and women, uh, I, I really want to challenge you this morning to make a solemn commitment to God in this area that you will not marry an unbeliever. Um, don't even entertain the idea of dating an unbeliever, one who doesn't know Christ. You know, you make that commitment. That's that's important. It's essential. And and dads and moms, you know, we need to take responsibility here as well. You know, we need to teach our children about this. We need to encourage them. We need to be an example to them of what a marriage in Christ looks like what it means to be faithful to Christ as you're faithful to each other. In other words, being one spirit. Now the next, next in the oath of consecration is, uh, is time. You know, they, they said they will, they're, they're vowing to uh, keep the Sabbath, to keep it holy. By observing the Sabbath, you know, they're taking, setting apart one day per week as a day unto the Lord. But by doing so, they're, they're set, really setting themselves apart from the rest of the world, who at that time would have been working seven days a week, engaging in commerce, commerce, working. They're saying, we're going to be different from those around us. We're going to trust in God's provision. It's a matter of faith. Notice how they say this. If, if someone not of us, the peoples of the land, come in with things to sell, we won't buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. 
You know, they're saying we're we're going to we're going to take a stand here. We're going to be obedient to God's commandment to remember the Sabbath and, and keep it holy. You know, it would be so easy to be like the rest of the world. You know, here here comes somebody with something to sell. Oh, look. Look at the price they're offering. You know, the special Sabbath uh, price here. Uh, you know, how, how can we pass that up? Hmm, cucumber. You know, we, we could use those for our, our salad and our, our Sunday lunch. You know, what, what would it hurt if we just slipped a guy a, a 20 here, you know, a couple shekels? You know, it's, it all boils down to obedience. It's a matter of obeying God, obeying God's word. God commanded his people to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Among, among other things, not engaging in commerce. You know, they, they, vowed, they vowed to give the, the land a rest, to let the land lay fallow every seventh year. You know, this, this is a commandment of God that was spilled out in Leviticus 25. Don't sow or reap. Whatever grows will feed the poor, it says. It'll feed the animals. God told them that if they were faithful in this, he would bless them in such abundance during the sixth year. There would be enough. They wouldn't have to work the fields that seventh year. This is a matter of faith. It's a matter of being able to trust in God to uh, be good to his word. This is what keeping the Sabbath meant for the people in the Old Testament. And uh, what what is, on, on, on this side of the cross, what, is, what does it mean? You know, I think it means something very, very different. You know, Jesus in Matthew 12, 8, declared himself to be Lord of the Sabbath. He, you know, the, the, the Pharisees were hassling him because Jesus' disciples were walking through a grain field and plucking off ears of grain and, and eating them on the Sabbath because they were hungry. And Jesus told these, these guys who were hassling him uh, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Paul says some observe days and seasons as holy, some don't. In Romans 14, 5 through 6, uh, he says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. The one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to the Lord. In other words, whatever you decide to do in these non-essential areas, do it under the Lord. Do it to honor him. You know, this, the, the, the principle is a pattern of work and rest. But we can't be legalistic about it. You know, the Sabbath in the Old Testament pointed towards Christ. Colossians two sixteen through 17, Paul talks about this. He says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or re- with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. They are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Yeah, some people get hung up on this. Some people divide over this kind of thing. We don't need to. So the three C's, two, one and two are 
Not a rhetorical question. Compliance to God's word, consecration, consecration unto God. The third is uh, care for God's house. Care for God's house. You know, this, this last statement we need, to, we need to look at very carefully. We will not neglect the house of God. You know, the immediate, the, the immediate uh, implication of this would be uh, financial or, or, you know, physical resources. Uh, you know, the oath covers various ways in which this, this temple will be supported. Money, wood, grain, cattle, fruit, wine. Uh, you know, each, each person has their part. Talks about the priests, the Levites, the people. You know, every each person involved has an obligation to the house of God. Do you remember when we were in Ezra? I, I read a, a passage from Haggai, the prophet Haggai, and in it, God addressed how the people were neglecting the house of God. Remember, they had they had started the temple, they laid the foundation, they set the altar, and because of opposition, they just kind of gave up. And God sent this prophet Haggai to them. It says, Now therefore, saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you'll never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. He who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. It's a matter of priority. You know, this this was an exhortation to, to build the temple. And they did eventually. But the people were making the, the temple, the house of God, uh, really the lowest priority. Once the temple was rebuilt... The emphasis changed, kind of. Not really, though. People still had an obligation to the house of God. Its operations still needed to be maintained. Neglect of the house of God would mean ruin of the house of God. We will not neglect the house of God. You know, On this side of the cross, in the, the new covenant... What is the house of God? What is the temple? It's, it's us. It's the church. Paul talks about the church with us as living stones being fit together into a habitation for God. So it's not the building. We are the building. You know, we, we use the term going to church. You know, I'm going to go to church this morning. That's kind of a misnomer, is it not? Let's be the church. The people are the house of God. It's, it's a spiritual house. We're the church. So what is it to neglect the house of God now? Uh, what's, what's our part in it? Uh, you know, it would include material resources, financial resources. What are some, some other ways, though? Serving, yeah. Uh, you know, Jesus, Jesus quoted from Isaiah. We we neglect the house of God when we uh, fail to pray together. 
We neglect the house of God when we don't meet together. The, the, writers of he, the writer of Hebrews exhorts us not to neglect the, the gathering of, of the saints as is the habit of some, it says. So we, we need to place a high priority on meeting together, on praying together. We, we neglect the house of God when we just come and sit and spectate. <laughs> you know, it's not a spectator's game here. You know, it's a, it's a game of participation. It's Christ's intention that each member be a functioning member, ministering to another, serving each other, loving each other, building each other up so that the body of Christ is healthy and mature more and more. Let's wrap this up. Uh, do, do we want to see Revival. I think we all do. I, I can't imagine anybody saying no to that. Uh, we, we truly desire to see the Spirit of God move among us, working in extraordinary ways in, in this church. Uh, the question we need to answer is, are we willing to surrender to God in obedience to his word, in consecrating ourselves unto him, in caring for his house? You know, re- revival... If you look it up in it, I did in a dictionary, it said a, a revival is a spiritual reawakening from a state of dormancy or stagnation in the life of a believer. You know, if we, if we want revival, we need to make a commitment. And we need to follow through with that, with that commitment. Second uh, Chronicles 714 I've, I've quoted this countless times. God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and, and heal their land. And I believe that's a, an abiding promise to God's people, us. So all these things work together. Compliance, humbly submitting to to God's word, you know, in obedience. Consecration, you know, setting ourselves apart, separating ourselves from from sin and and the, uh, and the world, not leaving the world, but being different, being separate, separating ourselves unto God, seeking His face desiring his presence, confessing our sin, repenting, the care of God's house. You know, each of us is a member of God's house. Each is a member of the body of Christ. You know, it it takes commitment. It it takes uh, personal sacrifice. These things don't happen on their own. Uh, Christian life is is never passive. You know, we um, we do because we are. We do because we are. And um, I, I would like to just be able to say, okay, and they lived happily ever after. But we still we still have a few chapters left, and we we see that these people did not stick to their commitment. And the site. 
another rotation of, of the cycle, but we'll we'll deal with that later. Um, for sustained revival, we need to sustain our commitment. You know. Let's pray. Well, our Father, uh, you are eternal. We we take comfort in in the fact that you do not change. But on the other hand, Lord, we we are fickle. We're as as the the hymn says, we are prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God we love. Lord, we need you. We need you to sustain us. To keep the fire going, Lord, we we need your word. Lord, give us give us a hunger for your word. Give us a, a delight for your word. Just as it says in, in Psalm 1, our, our delight is in, in the law of the Lord, and in it we meditate day and night. Lord, take us and, and use us. Use every aspect of, of our lives, Lord. We turn to you, and may we as a church be a, a delight to you. Um, may we, Lord, experience a continuous renewal Continuous growth, Lord. We love you. We love you, Lord. Be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen.